Welcome to Series 2 of our podcast, brought to you by Oxfordshire Recovery College. Hello and welcome to the Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm the head of the college and this particular podcast episode is about birds and hopefulness and a bit of joy and a few poems. Um, I wanted to make this podcast because I've long had a feeling that there's something about birds that links to mental health, to my own mental health. And I've kind of felt for a long time that as long as there are birds around and you can sometimes see one or hear one, then there's hope in the world and everything is going to be all right in the end. But I've never really worked out why I think that. So this is my opportunity to think about it, reflect on it um, and talk to some colleagues about about their thoughts about that. And um, the line that keeps going round in my head is a well-known line by Emily Dickinson, hope is the thing with feathers, hope is the thing with feathers. And I'm going to start by reading um, her poem. And I'd like to point out that um, there's quite a lot of birds interrupting me throughout this podcast. Um, and that's because they are real birds in my garden. I'm recording quite a lot of this outside. So the bird song has not been added for effect. Um, they're real birds and I, I feel lucky to be sitting out here with them um, thinking about birds and hope. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul, sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. That's a poem by the American poet Emily Dickinson, who lived between 1830 and 1886 in Amherst, Massachusetts. And she lived much of her life in isolation. In fact, um, it's said that she rarely left her bedroom and was diagnosed by a physician in her lifetime as suffering from nervous prostration, which surely today would be um, an emotional disorder of some kind. And um, Emily Dickinson wrote many poems and beautiful letters to her family and friends from her bedroom. And that's one of her most popular poems. And her poems are really about nature often and how what we feel inside relates to the outside world. So she writes very vividly using images from nature to talk about universal themes of identity and what is our place in the world from her bedroom she wrote she wrote so much from such a isolated life and what I really like in that poem is that image of hope as something that is always there present inside of us whatever circumstances we find ourselves in we can return to that hope that is deep inside us it's a source of comfort that doesn't ask anything of us it doesn't go away and that's in the recovery college what we're often trying to do is we're trying to support people to reconnect with that sense of hope again Um, there's lots of research that hope is the 
factor that underpins recovery in mental health. And what hope is, I suppose, is that feeling that change is possible, things will get better. If you feel in a desperate situation now, life will change. Um, Something different will happen. You will feel differently. Um, You will feel happy again. It's inevitable as hope stays within us. So we will feel joy again, however sad we feel. We will feel sad again, however joyful we feel. But hope is that feeling that life will go on and it will change and things will get better. And that's what we try and support people to find, that sense of reconnecting to hope as a bird returns to its perch. And there's, there's lots of ways to do that. And one reason I wanted to make this podcast is because, in fact, one of the ways to reconnect with hope is to watch the birds. So um, I'm going to talk to my colleague Zoe, who is a tutor with the Recovery College. Um, Zoe, can I ask you to introduce yourself, first of all? Yes. Hi, Stephanie. Um, my Hi. Name- Hi, I'm, my name's Zoe. Um, I, as I said, I'm a recovery college tutor and I am a, yeah. a ward manager at Kennet Ward at Littlemore um, and have been for the last just over a year now. Great. And um, you're very interested in watching birds, I believe, <laughs> as well. Yes, very much so. <laughs> uh, when did you first develop an interest in watching birds? Um when I didn't watch birds as such when I was younger, but my my dad did, and okay. I, so I didn't. So I'd go along with him with the binoculars, but I did quite enjoy seeing birds as, as, in general. Um, but right. it was when I became older and I met my current partner, and he had a similar experience in that his dad had been interested in bird watching, um, and we right. both liked going for walks. And one day oh. we just bought some binoculars and thought, oh, we'll go in the Go and have a look at the birds. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. I, li- I like that idea as well. That was something you did with your dad, although it was his mm. interest. Yeah. And then you developed it later on, later on again. Yeah. So are you quite a serious bird watcher in actually taking binoculars and going somewhere where you can see certain kinds of birds? I... Sort of. So I do take my binoculars and I and I do go to mm. bird reserves and it is nice to see new birds that I haven't seen. It is nice to see interesting birds that, yeah. make, you know, it's a bit exciting. Like um, I remember the first time I saw hobbies at Otmore in Oxfordshire and I'd never mm. seen them and it was so exciting. Um, not yes. just because they were hobbies and, and at the time there weren't many breeding pairs, but actually because it was something I hadn't seen. And so, yeah, that was very exciting. Um, wow. but yeah. what, it, what is a hobby? A hobby. So it's a falcon. It's, um, it's okay, falcon. very aerobatic. Um, it's got some sort of sickle-shaped wings, a bit like its prey. Uh-huh. So in the earlier in the spring, it, it will eat um, like dragonflies. And it takes them, and I saw this happening, it takes them whilst it's flying and brings them up to okay. its mouth, uh, which is amazing to see. And then apparently later yes. season, it then takes sort of swifts and swallows, which have a similar shaped wing. So again, which is why they're so aerobatic. 
Um, but I got the opportunity to see one sitting on a post um, through my partner's um, scope. So he's got a telescope. And I got to see his sort of orange thighs, which is quite a distinctive marking of a hobby. You have a favourite bird, would you say? Yes, I do. So my favourite bird is the oyster catcher which is a the oyster catcher oyster catcher oh. yes so it's a black and white bird and it's got quite a comically mm. long beak which is bright yes off. and the same with its legs and there's just something about the way it walks it always makes me smile um <laughs> it's just... where can you see oyster catchers the oyster catchers um that you see them um so they're oh my word uh, bear with me so, so you'll see them on like coastlines or on um, okay. the um uh, not be just like the banks of a, a lake or something like that and they'll, they'll okay just, so they'll wade and they'll they'll pick up food on the edges there okay i can i can exactly picture what you mean but i think from a picture i don't think i've ever seen one Oh. Can you see them on the UK coastline? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and you can see them around Oxfordshire. So if you go, there's quite okay. a Yeah, around Oxfordshire, there's hides where they're on sort of the edges of old sort of gravel pits. There's a lot of that around Oxfordshire. And um, okay. you'll see them on the on the shore. That's what the word I was looking for, on the shore of the, of the sort of lake um, around there. Yeah. My favourite place oh, that I can draw. Can you not imagine see what they look like? Okay. Yes, I'm looking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going. I'm going to look out for oyster catchers. I wanted to ask you about a study carried out in 2017 by the University of Exeter that found that people living in neighbourhoods with more birds and shrubs and trees are less likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and stress. And so this is a, a scientific study and um, they looked at what types of birds people could see and in their gardens there were lots of common birds like blackbirds and robins and blue tits. And the study looked at whether there was a relationship between bird species and mental health. So they didn't yeah. find one but they did find yeah. that there's something about the numbers of birds that people could see from their windows okay. just in the garden or in the neighbourhood that is linked to mental health. So it, it kind of suggests that there's something about simply being able to see birds and hear birds that decreases stress and increases people's well-being. Um, yeah. why, why do you think that is? I mean, I, I, the study doesn't have the answer, so I'm just wondering really what it is that there might be about seeing birds that um, increases well-being. I think um, for me, I mean, particularly going into a hide, there's something about having to be very still and very quiet. And even if, yeah. if for example, if I'm in my garden, I mean, I've got uh, so many young sparrows at the moment. They're all squabbling, which mm. is lovely to see. <laughs> and then this blackbird that keeps coming and chasing them off the water. So, but to actually be able to watch them and actually for them to not realize you're there and kind of then get on with their yeah. activity so you can see that you have to be very still very quiet and there's something yes. quite meditative almost mindfulness about that um, yes yeah the, uh, it, it is just seeing what's happening now um yeah and and, and in, a, in a hide it's so quite it's almost um it, the closest thing I can think of is, is like being in a church or something. It's still, it's quiet. People are with their own thoughts. 
yeah. and it's about side of yourself um and yes. that's think of it for me it's like my, my hide is my church <laughs> um yes so that is I, a really good image yeah yeah and also I suppose when you see birds they tend to be in green places don't they and there's something yes really, um uplifting about being in just in nature itself um definitely and bird song is so, it, it can be so uplifting even when they're doing the alarm calls um which are actually telling yeah. you way <laughs> they're lovely songs yes so um, yes and it, it's, it's yeah your yeah. sensory it's a full sensory uh, sort of experience um yes that's that's my thoughts on it yeah so i was thinking about that similarly that um sort of song and flight as well are things we associate with joy so they're quite sort of happy things to see and to hear in a sensory way and um yes also that that taking time in the moment Mm. is quite grounding and and i like the idea of a church that that it's something about people being still and in their own space but also seeing something outside of themselves Mm. that's bigger um a bigger a bigger part of nature or spirituality so yeah yeah I really I really like that image I've noticed lots of um young birds because I've been working at um my table which has a a door open to the garden and Mm. as you say it's the sound so I keep um I'll look up because I can hear lots and lots of chattering and then I'll notice that's because actually it's because there's some young birds and um, we've had baby blue tits and baby oh, great tits and um, baby robins mm-hmm. or fledglings now. And now the robins are becoming teenagers <laughs> and their red breasts are coming through. But it's that I can hear the change in the sound and then mm. I notice. So, yeah, um, uh, that's that's interesting. Um do you do anything that to attract birds to your garden? I do. Um, so one of the main things, I suppose, is food and water. Um, yeah. We've got three water sources. I've, I've got a very, very wild garden, partly because I want to okay. wildlife and partly because gardening's not really my thing. <laughs> yeah. Eating it is my thing, but sort of doing it is not. Watching birds is your Watching thing, birds. not controlling the weeds. No. <laughs> so, so actually... Um, the the garden around the edges i uh, it's let, allowed to grow overgrown and obviously there's a piece for sitting in but the overgrown bit so so the bits where i've chopped it back um the, any bigger pieces of wood or branches from trees that i've had to chop off i leave them to rot so when they rot down okay that then attracts the insects the beetles and that right, attracts yeah. the birds i do put bird food out as well but unfortunately it sometimes encourages rats too so it's a bit of a yes. difficult, <laughs> but but yeah, food and water and a habitat that they feel safe in. Um, okay. So where the bird feeders are right at the end of the garden, in front of that, I've got I've allowed bamboo to grow in like a line. It's almost like a uh, a screen of live bamboo, so that they feel a bit safer behind there where they, when they're feeding. Okay. Um. So yeah, sort of let it grow over, giving them some water. Yes. A bit of food. 
that's um, quite an encouraging thing. I think lots of people have been doing more gardening in lockdown mm. through this strange um, year, and that includes me. Mm. But uh, it's quite nice to think if you've got a wild bit where um, you haven't managed to do much uh, yes. weeding <laughs> or looking after it, what you're actually doing is encouraging the birds and the wildlife mm. to enjoy it. So, yeah, positive reframe on failing to do the gardening. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's all on purpose, obviously. <laughs> I'd not really thought about watching birds as being meditative or mindful before, but um, after talking with Zoe, I was reminded of my absolutely favourite poem of all time, Adelstrop by Edward Thomas. And uh, possibly slightly self-indulgently, I thought I'd ask my colleague Simon, who's another Recovery College tutor, as well as the Recovery Coordinator at Fleet Meadow, and an actor, to read it for us. Yes, I remember Adelstrop, the name, because one afternoon of heat the express train drew up there unwantedly. It was late June. The steam hissed, someone cleared his throat, and no one left and no one came on the bare platform. What I saw was Adelstrop, only the name, and willows and willow herb, and grass and meadow sweet and haycocks dry, no witless still and lonely fair than the high cloudlets in the sky. And for that minute, a blackbird sang close by, and round him, mistier, farther and farther, all the birds of Oxfordshire and Gloucestershire. That poem, to me, sums up living in the moment. And that's something that we try and encourage as a, as a key strategy in combating anxiety. Um, we talk in the Recovery College about grounding techniques, ways to ground yourself in a moment of high tension and anxiety in the moment. Um, five, four, three, two, one is a, is a popular one where we encourage people to think of five things that they can see and four things that they can hear and three things that they can feel and two things that they can smell and one thing that they can taste and that that grounds people in the moment and calms calms anxiety and to me that's what that poem is about edward thomas um sees that one moment in time when the train stops at the station and he hears that one blackbird singing and then when he listens more it sounds like it's it's all the birds of oxfordshire and gloucestershire and um that poem is particularly poignant because it was written in 1914 just before the start of the First World War, and Edward Thomas was himself killed in action in 1917 at the Battle of Arras. And um, Adelstrop is there. It is a village in the Cotswolds, but it doesn't have a station anymore. So in many ways, he is capturing there a moment that has gone and, and disappeared um, more than a century ago and, and, and is not long before he was himself killed. But here I am, more than a century later, and the blackbird that you can hear is real. <laughs> and I am in my garden in Oxfordshire, and I am 
reading that poem that he wrote and listening to a blackbird. And if I listen carefully, I can hear not a train, but a car and a plane and pigeons cooing further away. And um, I am still enjoying that poem that he wrote, capturing that moment and yet living in another moment. And that is grounding me today. Someone asked me whether I'd heard of Joe Harkness and his book, Bird Therapy, and I hadn't, so I looked it up. And um, he writes very movingly and interestingly about his recovery from a mental health crisis, which led to his admission to hospital, um, about crediting his recovery to taking up the somewhat unlikely habit of bird watching. And he writes about the five ways to well-birding rather than the five ways to well-being, which are, as we know, to be active, take notice, learn, connect and give. And he writes about how all of those are incorporated um, when he's when he's watching a bird. So it's more it's easier to be active and to take notice of the world, but also we're learning because it's it's quite inspiring to see a bird that you haven't seen before and to look up just something about its habitat or its colours or its habits and we're also giving as we talked about with Zoe in terms of it's 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 fairly easy to find a space where you can encourage birds and wildlife to use your garden or even have a bird feeder um, on a window if you don't have a garden and we're connecting because there's something about looking at birds as as we've talked about that's about connecting with our ourselves and grounding ourselves as well and another thing that joe harkness says that i really like is birds remind us that we are a small part of nature's calendar i really like the way he's put that to remind us that we're part of nature's cycle of change just a small part of it and remind us too of the the beauty that there is in the in the everyday world around us. Um, we have a new tutor coordinator, Debbie, at the Recovery College, and I was talking to her with great excitement about uh, this podcast as um, something that's important to us at Recovery College right now. And uh, I wanted to ask for her thoughts as well. I'm wondering. If you have any thoughts on on why birds are are quite often used as symbols of joy, or that's a really interesting question because, um, yeah, I I think there's something. I think it's something to do with the flying. I think yeah. there's something uh, miraculous about being able to fly. Yeah. Um, that maybe, as humans. It's something we can't do without, you know, great development of an aeroplane. This this little creature that can just instinctively fly. I think there's something (laughs) wondrous about that. Yes. Um, And all the sort of sense of freedom and possibility that that brings. And I don't know, when I look at a bird in the sky, I often think about the perspective it's got, sort of looking down on the world from up above. And I think there's something really wondrous yeah um, and and then I think what's interesting about the way we might look at birds is that they're they're doing this wondrous thing, but then 
they're doing that wondrous thing while also doing all the everyday things like finding food and building a nest and raising their yeah. young and I'm I'm wondering if it's something about those things together the wonder and then the everyday yes um, that maybe makes birds so compelling yes and um and th- I think sort of earlier this year in the spring um there was people were questioning whether the birds had ever sung that loudly before um but in fact I think there's um that sort of evidence came out that birds actually sang more quietly this springtime because they didn't have the competition of traffic and and planes and things but people were listening and um people hadn't had that opportunity before to sort of sit in the garden and go for walks so much and actually listen to the birds this springtime so so we're hearing them yeah more loudly yeah exactly exactly um and pay, paying paying attention i was talking to zoe about a study which showed that living near birds or living in a place where you can see birds from your window um, is associated with an increased sense of well-being and and, and a lower level of stress and I'm wondering if you have any more thoughts about about why that might be. I think it might be something to do with that feeling of connection to nature. Yeah. and birds, are, I like those sort of reliable friends that come back to your garden every day, aren't they? Yeah. They have their territory and yeah. you sort of, if you're lucky enough to have a garden or an outside space that you can see, you might see the same kinds of birds. Yes. Um, and there's something about sort of watching birds that you're very much in the moment when you're looking out for which birds are which birds you can see and thinking yeah. about their colors and the patterns and yes listening to the different bird songs it's they're sort of very mindful kind of things aren't they yes. that you're, uh, yeah. you have to be in the moment for i like that thought that it's something about their everydayness as well yes kind of always there so um yeah. you can you can m- my son is a teacher in um London and he in during lockdown has been doing little um uh, treasure hunts around the community for some of his children that aren't at school and um, I mean he doesn't have pictures of goldfinches and blue tits for children to look for but he does have pigeons and ducks and um, things that you can spot um even in inner city London so um yeah reliable friends is a good phrase that there there's something about being able to to see them if you are on quite quite a dark day you're quite likely to see a flash of a bird at some point which can sort of lift you out of yourself and yes. um, be be a reminder of that freedom and that joy that we were talking about yeah absolutely do you have a favourite bird that you see in your garden? Gosh, that's tricky just to pick one. Um, I think, I don't see them very often, unfortunately, but I think it would have to be a bullfinch. Oh. Um, there's there's something about 
the that male bullfinch with that plump and peachy pink breast and yeah. it's sort of this flash of colour yeah. and it seems an impossible colour to be mm. seen. Um, and whenever I whenever I glimpse a male bullfinch, I always I always feel as if I've been given a little bit of treasure. Um, what a lovely image! It's they're so so beautiful. And yes, it, yeah, it always feels. A wondrous moment to see a bullfinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a lovely image and comes back to that idea that um, if, if it's a dark day, you might just find, be given this bit of treasure. Yes. This, um, this bird might fly in and out of your vision. Um, and, and there it is, that moment that connects you to the outside world again. Yeah, very much so. Well, I think that's a good place to stop thinking about the everyday wonder of our reliable friends, the birds. I'd like to thank my youngest son, who at 13 has been on hand at home and has had to rescue me when I've been screaming with frustration and not being able to get the editing right. But on the whole, I've had a ball making this podcast and I've learned a lot. And I'd like to give the last word back to Emily Dickinson. I was Googling whether anyone might have written a poem about Zoe's idea of um, watching birds being her church and lo and behold one poet did and it was Emily who wrote about keeping the Sabbath at home in her own garden with a bobolink for a chorister and a bobolink is an American blackbird so this is what she said some keep the Sabbath going to church I keep it staying at home with a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Brought to you by Oxfordshire Recovery College. Welcome to Oxfordshire Recovery College. I don't think I can do it. I can't do it when I have to do it. Okay, I'll try one more time. But this is hard. Welcome to Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. Ugh, still sarcastic, right? <laughs> okay, I'll try one more time. Welcome to Oxfordshire Recovery College podcast. That's the one.